May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good to be back from uh, Sea Island, Georgia. Beautiful place, but there's no place like Ocala, believe me. I want to talk to you this morning about this uh, reading from John's Gospel. A big idea is Jesus is the king of truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears his word. I want to play a video from The Passion of the Christ, which is a very small snippet, but it is the scene that uh, Father Tom just read out of John's Gospel. I know that print was a little small, but luckily we're all fluent in Aramaic, so no problem. Um, Jesus came into the world to bear witness to the truth. 
couple of implications of that. There is truth. There is truth, and it can be known. And secondly, Jesus came to testify to that truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just a little bit of context. How did we get here? What's going on with all, with all of this? Uh, what you're looking at in this particular scene is the fourth of six trials that Jesus is uh, subjected to the night before his crucifixion. He starts with going to Annas, the former chief priest. Then he goes to priest. Then he goes to the Sanhedrin, which is the Supreme Court sent about 70 uh, elders and rulers. And then he shifted, shipped off to Pilate, which is what we're looking at here. Pilate tries to get rid of him and sends him to Herod, and then Herod sends him back to Pilate. So it's Annas, Caiaphas, Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, Pilate. There's six trials. This is number four. And Pilate is trying to figure out what the heck is going on here. Israel, uh, Judah, was under Roman rule at this time. And the way that came about was in 4 B.C., Herod the Greek died, and he divided up his kingdom, and the Roman Empire let him do this. He divided up his kingdom among his, among his sons. It was Philip, Herod, Antipas, and Archelaus. Philip and, and Herod, Antipas, they did fine. They, they ruled well. The people were happy, but Archelaus was a mess. He was 18 years old, not a good leader, not a good ruler, cruel, unjust, and the people didn't want to take it. They were fed up. They rose up, and the leaders went to Rome, and they installed a governor. In those days, there were two kinds of provinces. There was a senatorial province and an imperial province. There was the senatorial province. People could take care of themselves, run their own show, no problem. Good for you. An imperial province, like Israel, like Judah, not so much. Uh, there were rebels. There was trouble. There was unrest. And so they appointed a governor. And... Um, they always, the governor always came with troops. So you had a, uh, a military presence and you had a governor that was under the authority of Rome, and that was Israel. Pilate was there from 26 to 35 AD. He was a failure. Uh, he did not rule well. He was always in trouble with the locals and he was always in trouble with Caesar one way or another. And it was his attitude. When this scenario, when this scene takes place, he already has two strikes against him. He only gets three. And the first strike came when he first arrived, and he was at his headquarters in Caesarea Philippi on the Mediterranean. That's where his headquarters was. It wasn't in Jerusalem. So he's going to go to Jerusalem with his entourage. And the guy that he's relieving says, now look, when you go to Jerusalem and you take the boys down there, you're going to have the banners, but don't have the image of, of, the, of the emperor on top of the staff. That's a graven image, and the Jews hate it. They'll go crazy. Thanks for the tip. I'll do my own thing. And off he goes. And he gets to Jerusalem, and they go crazy. And they riot. The whole time he's there, there's unrest. And when he goes back to Caesarea Philippi, 500 Jews follow him. They're causing trouble and they're disruptive. And he finally says, get them, all to, get them all in the amphitheater. And they all go into the amphitheater. And he says, if you don't knock it off, if you don't cease and desist, and if you don't leave right now, I'm going to kill all of you. And they said, fine. And they knelt down and they put their heads on the ground and they bared their necks and he said, do it. 
Well, he couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Strike one. That got back to Rome. The second strike came when he they needed water. They, he built an aqueduct, but the problem was he used money from the temple treasury to do it. And the people rioted. And they're out in the streets, and he sends his plainclothesmen out there with clubs and knives, and he starts killing people. Word gets back to Rome, and that was strike two. The third strike came after Jesus was crucified. It was in 35 AD. This is his last year there. And he put up shields in Herod's palace in Jerusalem with the image of Tiberius Caesar on the shield. And that was the final straw. And he got reported and he got recalled. And he went back to Rome and tradition says he committed suicide, which is a sad ending to him, Pilate. The Jews were blackmailing Pilate into crucifying Jesus. And they would say, if you don't do this, you're no friend of Caesar. At this point, he's got two strikes. He's really in a pickle. He tries to evade responsibility. He says, you take him and you handle him by your own law. Don't, what are you bothering me with this for? They said, oh, no, we can't. You took away our right to, to capital punishment. We can't do that. It didn't seem to bother them when they were stoning Stephen to death. And there was a, a rule and a law that was okay with Rome that if you were a Gentile and you went too far into the temple, they could stone you as well. If the Jews killed you, they stoned you. If the Romans killed you, they crucified you. How was Jesus supposed to die? Crucifixion, not stoning. tries compromise. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll whip him. I'll scourge him to within an inch of his life, and then I'll show him, and the people will feel sorry for him and tell me to let him go. And he does, and it doesn't work. And then he says, we have a custom where we let somebody else go on this day. Brings out the worst of the worst, Barabbas, murderer. People hate him, hate him. Who do they call for to be released? Barabbas. What do they say when Jesus comes? Crucify him. There is no compromise with Jesus. We're either for him or we're against him. Jesus does not want lukewarm Christians. He says, if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. The conversation now gets around to truth. Jesus says he came into the world to testify to the truth and that anyone who is on the side of truth listens to him. Godly people want the truth. Ungodly people don't care about the truth. Pilate asks, what's truth? And I look at that scene with his wife, and I think he's really struggling I don't think he's being cavalier about it. I think he's struggling. What don't I know? How do I know what's right, what's wrong? How do I know the truth? And it really is paining him. Remember that evil cares not for the truth and is motivated only by self-interest. Evil doesn't care what the truth is. It is only motivated by self-interest. Godly people care what the truth is and they're not motivated by self-interest. They're motivated by God's word. 
doing the right thing, even when it costs us. Even when there's a price to pay, we still want to know the truth and do the right thing. The Jews and Pilate know that Jesus is innocent, but they don't care. Jesus was stiff competition for the Jews. I mean, what was he doing? Raising the dead, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dumb speak, water into wine. He gave sight to the blind. No one in the Old Testament was ever healed of blindness. That was a miracle that was reserved for the Messiah, and they all knew it. Jesus just did good things, and more and more people were gravitating to him, and the Jews saw their power base being eroded, their power, their perks, their place. And Pilate was over a barrel with Caesar. He already has two strikes. Neither of them care about the truth, and neither all and both of them are motivated by self-interest, evil. Now, there is such a thing as truth, and it comes from outside the world and gives meaning to the world. There is God's unchanging and absolute truth, and it's true for all people. Jesus says the truth will set you free. I believe in the truth. I believe in absolute truth. There are certain things that are true for all times, for all people in all situations. Up is up, down is down, in is in, out is out, black is black, white is white. Boys are boys and girls are girls. Didn't mean to be so controversial. God reveals his truth in his word. This is where we understand what the truth to be. He tells us, how to live our lives. He tells us how to relate to him. He tells us how to relate to others. He tells us how to relate even to ourselves. He defines right and wrong. He shows us how to live healthy and productive lives and how to live with him for eternity through the sacrifice of his son on our behalf. That's all true. Most people see the truth as relative. Depends on circumstances. Depends on your preferences. Lincoln dealt with this. He had a stubborn disputer. And Lincoln said, well, let's see, how many legs has a cow? Four, of course, came the reply disgustedly. That's right, agreed Lincoln. Now, suppose you call the cow's tail a leg. How many legs would the cow have? Why, five, of course, was the confident reply. Now, that's where you're wrong, said Lincoln, calling a cow's tail a tail, a leg, doesn't make it a leg. Just because somebody identifies as something doesn't make it true. God made them male and female. We can apply this to all kinds of things. We've, we're, entering, we're entering into a, a time in our, in our culture, in our society, where this self-identification thing is, is like out of control. But it doesn't alter the truth. In your mind, you may want to be something else, but you know what? You're not. And it can cover a wide range of things. 
Truth is seen by many as the rotten root of bigotry and intolerance and prejudice. But relativism is seen as the wholesome mother of cultural respect and tolerance and peace. Agree with my point of view or be labeled as a hater. Agree with me or be labeled a hater. I think we signed ourselves sometimes in the Christian world on that side of it because when we uphold biblical truths and biblical values, we're seen as intolerant, unjust, hateful, uh, who don't understand other people. It covers a whole range of issues, whether it's race or gender. But if you're interested in the truth, it can be very controversial. We just had a trial in Kenosha, Wisconsin. You may have heard of it. Al Rittenhouse. Every bit of evidence said he was not guilty. That is the truth of this case. It's the truth. People don't like it, but it's still the truth. And as a result of not getting their way, people are destroying property and things like that. They don't care about the truth, and they're motivated only by self-interest. I didn't get what I want. And now you are going to pay the price for that. That is the definition of I didn't know how that was going to turn out. But if he'd been found guilty because the facts led to a guilty verdict, I would have been okay. Because if that's the truth, then I will accept it. I will receive it. Because all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. So as a little aside, how do we handle the truth? Somebody said, if you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. You know, what did I say to Charlie? Oh, man, because i got to talk to this guy over here. Oh, man, what the hell? All right, all right, all right. Or people who delete tweets and Facebook posts, you know, because they don't want people to know what they were thinking or saying earlier about something because they changed their mind or they said something that wasn't true. If you always tell the truth, you never have to remember anything. I came across this. I thought it was interesting. Writing letters of recommendation can be hazardous. Tell the truth and you might get sued if the contents are negative. Robert Thornton, a professor at Lehigh University, has a collection of virtual litigation-proof phrases called the Lexicon of Intentionally Ambiguous Recommendations. L-I-A-R. Some examples to describe an inept person. Quote, I enthusiastically recommend this candidate. No qualifications whatsoever. To describe an ex-employee who had problems getting along with fellow workers. Quote, I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. See how this could go both ways. To describe an unproductive candidate, quote, I, I can assure you that no person would be better for the job. And finally, quote, to describe an, applic an applicant not worth consideration, quote, I would urge you to, to waste no time in making this candidate an offer of employment. You see how they can go both ways? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Jesus tells us that the spirit of God, the spirit of truth. So here I am in seminary. Um, I'm a rising senior. I'm a junior at the end of the school year. And the rising senior class, rising junior class, or I'm sorry, the rising senior class, the juniors, they're always the choir at the graduation ceremony for the seniors. So we're at St. Stephen's in Swickley, Pennsylvania, and I'm dressed in the choir robe, and I'm in the choir loft, and, and seniors are marching in, and I'm standing there, and we're singing along, and all of a sudden, it was like two hands are on my shoulders and shove me to my knees, literally. And now I'm looking, I'm going, what the heck just happened? And they're processing in, and everybody's singing. And I hear this voice say, Don, it's all true. It's all true. It's all true. This gospel that you have received is true. And then it was like the hands went away, and I jumped to my feet, and I came off the ground. It was like I was spring-loaded. And now I'm back singing. And I'm looking around going, did that really just happen? It really happened. And I've never forgotten that. It's all true. It's all true. It's all true. My word is true. So if you want to know where to find eternal truth, look to the scriptures. They and they alone are the final authority and standard of living for all of life. Now, there are some things that are true, gospel truths. The truth is, God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or make God love you any less. Some people think it's a matter of points. It's a merit system. You get points, you lose points. That's not how it works. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, you come to faith in him, your sins are forgiven and you're restored to relationship. You're reconciled with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't change. The truth is, Jesus died on the cross so you can be forgiven. This is how it happens. The truth is, God has a special plan for your life. Every single one of us, God's plan is being worked out. I never in a million years thought I would be standing in front of you today with a collar around my neck preaching a sermon as a priest. Never entered my mind in my wildest imagination when I was growing up. But here I am because it's his plan. The truth is the Bible is the source of truth for you and for me. The truth is God hears and answers you when you pray. You don't have to be in a special place. You don't have to be in a special posture. You don't have to make an appointment. You can just talk to God anytime you want, anywhere you happen to be. He's available. You never get his message. You never get a menu to punch buttons for. He's just there. The truth is you're unique. There's no one else like you. Peg. Nobody like you. Nancy, definitely nobody like you. Don't
don't apologize. God made you that way. Truth is, we're all unique. There's never been anybody like us. There will never be anybody else like us. The truth is, you can do anything God asks you to do with his power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If he wants you to do something, he's going to give you what you need to do it. Because the only two things he's looking for is willingness and availability. Am I willing? Am I available? He doesn't call the equipped. He equips those whom he calls. The truth is, Jesus will always be with you no matter what you go through. When the walls seem to be closing in and the lights are going out, he is there with you. It may not feel like it sometimes, but he's there. He never abandons us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always there. The truth is God will give you wisdom to make good choices. That's where I always talk about peace, clarity, and unity before you step out. Remember, step out in faith, trusting God. Don't throw yourself off the temple, tempting God. There's a difference. If you're walking in his will and his way, he will give you what you need to get the job done. The truth is you can be strong and brave with God. And we were just talking about that in the Bible study this morning, how Paul is calling Timothy to be stand up, to stand up, be courageous. There's, there's hard times coming, but keep moving forward. Same with us. Who knows what's coming? But he wants, God wants his people to stand up, be courageous, stand firm. Stand up for what's right, even if you're the only one standing, as the sign says over the door. The truth is, put God first and he will provide for your needs. Every single one of us right now sitting in this place has what we need. Put your faith and trust in God and you will always have what you need. Maybe not what you want what you need. The truth is, God is the one and only way to eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the truth is, when you sin and God asks God to forgive you, and he will. So many people walk around with the burden of, of sin. They're carrying it like a like a very heavy backpack, and God says, put that down. I paid the price for that. Confess it. The hard work is done. Why are you burdening yourself with that? And the truth is, obeying God leads to blessing. God blesses faithful obedience. God blesses faithful obedience. So what is truth? It's the difference between night and day. It's the difference between saved and lost. What is truth? The Bible is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. And if you accept those as truth in your life, you have a standard for living and a reason to live. What is it that I measure my decisions by? It's God's word. But if you reject them as your standard, then you have no absolutes and can do as you please. However, it does not change the fact that the Bible is still true and Jesus is still the only way to God. So I say, thank God for the truth. Amen.